Hello everybody, Jordan here, The PH is Silent, and in this episode we pretty much just talk about all the news from The Descent, the D&D live event for 2019, and there is a lot to discuss, so let's jump right in. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan with a silent PH in the middle, and I'm joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. Welcome, everybody, to a bright and early Saturday morning. The sun is shining, and we are ready for a lot of news this morning. Lots of news, because the descent is happening. We have descended into news of all the new products that are coming out for Dungeons & Dragons in the next year. And there is a plethora of them. And, uh, but I want to ask you this. Was there anything unexpected? Were you like, oh, I was not expecting that, Mr. Lucian? Because a lot of it, I was just kind of like, oh, okay. I, yeah, you've kind of been leading up to that. All right. Yeah, you've also I, yeah. been leading up to that. So. Yeah, yeah. Definitely the other products that they were mentioning. Um, I didn't see multiple more box sets coming out that we're going to talk about. Um, I didn't see more comic book announcements. But I, I think we called the adventure itself a little bit, or at least parts of it. We kept mentioning, maybe we're going to here, maybe we might be able to do this thing. And that seems to be what we're getting. Um, but I, the one thing that surprised me was the production quality of the streams themselves was really good. They were doing crane um, cameras. They were doing uh, different three or four different camera angles. They had pretty good audio for most of it. So it was really good. Yeah, no, the audio was great. The uh, the it is funny though because I was watching on YouTube and I'm assuming it was the same stream that went everywhere. But the people in YouTube were commenting that they're like, "Are the cameramen fighting?" Because like one camera would be like and then like shaking and then it would cut to the other one really quick. And I'm like, it's like they're vying for power. Um, so I don't know what was going on there. But uh, like, yeah, the quality was great. I mean, they're in LA. They're hiring like local LA people to do this event who know how to do these kind of events. They know how to like microphone people and things like that. So it's a little, little, not, not, what am I going to say? I was going to say better, but like not, not better than the one in Seattle, I guess. But uh, yeah, they're working with professionals. So it kind of makes sense. Oh, I can't hear you. Is that me or you? Uh, yeah, it, there you go. It's the difference between, you know, like one camera that sits and then that's just about it versus they were actually trying to do production-based stuff, which I think um, is really cool. And I don't think it was perfect, but it's definitely better than any other live role-playing Dungeons & Dragons game I've seen, even with like the little mistakes or the little weirdness coming here or there. It was really cool to see all that stuff happen. So. No, it was super fun. Um, so we're going to go kind of down the line of our list of notes. Um, and we're going to try and hit everything and then just talk about it for a little bit. And then if we have time, we'll talk about our home games. Uh, but we have a lot of stuff to get to. But first, mm-hmm. um, you put this on our show notes. Uh, Beholder, the art to Dungeons and Dragons. It's a movie. And this isn't something they announced. This is just something that's out in the world that we wanted to talk about. Yeah, I just had noticed it that they it's kind of like a documentary similar to the book that they had put out recently about the art of Dungeons and Dragons over, you know, the last 40ish years basically. <clears throat> 44 cuz I was born in 74, so uh, it was the year it came out. So I know exactly <laughs> always what date DD is. Um <laughs> but so I thought it was interesting for those of you that are we've always loved the art and the only thing probably the biggest single item that anybody could ever say that brought them into this hobby was they saw some piece of art somewhere at some point on a book and they bought a book and they got involved. And even if their friends showed them how to play, it was the art that captured you when you saw them opening the monster manual or their DM screen in front of you. And yes, the rules were fun and the game was fun, but the art captured you in and made you want to go out and find more about it and continue to do it. So I always think it's always cool to see those things. So it was like www.eyeofthebeholdermovie.com that was going to come out. And I just thought, you know, it was interesting because I wasn't sure what kind of news we were going to get. So I was just like, it was funny that all these other things had popped up. Just like they released two days before the uh, the event's going to go, they released the new Artificer article. So yeah. you know, we even have that to, to talk about, the Unearthed Arcana Artificer article. So there's a bunch of stuff. We may get to some of that or not, but I just thought it was interesting. If, especially Because you bought the book, right? You bought the one that was the... Um, Wayfinder's Guide. 
No, the Art and Arcana of oh, yeah. Dungeons and Dragons, yeah, yeah. like that the one that's just a flip through of, yep. of it's actually, years past art. I don't know if it's still super cheap, but I think they I don't think it sold as well as they wanted or something because I saw it for like 50 or 60% off on Amazon recently. And I was mm-hmm. and the like deluxe edition and I was like, "Oh, I wish I'd gotten the deluxe edition, but I didn't want to spend the like $100 to get it." But now it's like 50 to $60, which is completely reasonable. But no, it's um it's Art and Arcana. And it's and it's over there. I can't reach it, but it really cool uh, book. Just the visual history of D and D. So, oh yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're they're giving me some pointers, and I have my overlay. I I decided to throw in the one thing that you had talked about that you thought was kind of cool was the new Baller Gate dice box. So I put it on our overlay. <laughs> oh, so it's on there, but it's definitely on the top layer. So yeah, that's true. You know, this is the pro show. This is how we do things. We <laughs> ever, you know, do things wrong. It's probably got to go under this one. Right um, so, yeah, something to check out. Eye of the Holder movie. I put a link in to the, the – I'll put a link in the show notes and the um, the description of the YouTube video. But uh, also I just threw it in chat so you guys can check yeah, it out if awesome. you want to. But the big news is the new adventure storyline coming mm-hmm. out September – Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. Um, mm-hmm. So I have two questions for you. One, what is Baldur's Gate and what is Avernus and why are we descending into it? Yeah, yeah. Well, another big city in um, the Forgotten Realms area. In fact, the Sword Coast area. So we're still in the Sword Coast. We haven't mm-hmm. left the Sword Coast at this, unless you count Chult, which really I still think Chult is kind of Sword Coast-ish. Yeah. Um, but so, Baldur's Gate, the way they kind of, I kept hearing people describe it as if <clears throat> Waterdeep is uh, um, Metropolis. Metropolis, yeah. yeah, yeah, then Baldur's Gate is Gotham. But I think they wanted a gritty, darker, cityier town. And we talked about this in a, in a couple of other podcasts, if you go back and watch a couple of those, where we said that Baldur's Gate is that grittier one. There's blood in the streets. It's a lot more dangerous of a town. Um, and things are a little bit darker going on here. This is a very sinister place ran by sinister people and people are vying more sinister. People are vying for control of it. And that's the type of storylines you're going to get out of this type of town. And then now Avernus, which we know is uh, lovingly referred to as the front porch of hell or the doorstep of hell or the first layer of hell where this huge battleground is going on we're going to get a storyline that has us get involved in that, which I think is very interesting. And they said, well, we don't want to spoil the storyline, but I feel like there's not much more to it, right? There's some adventure in Baldur's Gate. We get roped up into doing something that sends us to Avernus. We do something in Avernus. I feel like we kind of know what's going on, but I still want to play it and I'm still interested in it. And there's still so many things that we can do. Now, how many of your lore videos that are out on your channel right now have touched on Baldur's Gate information or Avernus information. Have you talked too much about that on your Lord? Um, yeah, there's there's two. Uh, so I did yeah. a Baldur's Gate video. So if you want to watch Baldur's Gate, there's a Baldur's Gate video. Um, and I also did a Nine Hells video that touched on all of those. But because of this was so exciting and I realized I have never done anything on Zeriel and like listening to them talk about Zeriel, who's the, the arch devil for the first layer of Hell, Avernus. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to do a video on that. So I actually started writing a video last night Um, I put everything else away that I was supposed to be working on and I started writing that video. So I think I'm going to edit that today and either release it today or tomorrow. So stay tuned uh, to the Jordan YouTube channel because there will be a new video kind of detailing that at some point. Um, But no, uh, yeah, I, I... If you watch my Nine Hells video, I incorrectly state that Bell is the first is the archdevil of Hell of uh, of mm-hmm. Avernus because he was until Zeriel came in and and Asmodeus said no Zeriel's going to be uh, the archdevil and and pretty much usurped Bell as archdevil and Bell is now like a lieutenant of Zeriel. Um, because of the weird devil hierarchy that they have going on where they they i'm i'm higher up on the chain than you so i then lord over you and control you and things like that um with asmodeus at the top mm-hmm. so or or asmodeus as i get people i think you can say it either way but if i say it one way the other half is going to berate me mad. for saying it incorrectly so 
Um, yeah. But descent into Avernus, uh, and I, I, I think I disagree with you. I don't know the story at all. Like, like we know we're going to hell, but I don't know why I'm going to hell. Like, why would anyone mm-hmm. want to go to hell? There has to be something going on. And what's the secret around Zeriel that, like, they even mentioned that they, she might be able to be redeemed because she was once an angel. And so there's a lot of, like, mystery around that. I am super stoked for this. Like, I, mm-hmm. I'm really excited for this adventure, and I, I'm going to hopefully try and play it. Uh, where my group is running Ghosts of Salt Marsh, and I don't know how long that will last, but I might just be like, when September hits, guys, we're gonna we're gonna play this. <laughs> um, they've been describing it as Mad Max Fury Road uh, yeah. meets Hell, I guess. And mm-hmm. so uh, there are apparently some like Hell War machines that you can like pilot and drive around. Um, yes, the infernal machines. The infernal yeah. machines. Thank you. And so people are people are freaking out about that because uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh will have some basic like ship to ship kind of combat options, and I guess they expanded those to be um, whatever. So I can I can finally I've been trying to do this with Mutant Crawl Classics for so long and run my Fury Road uh, zero level funnel, and I was like, now I can probably run this in D and D using the adventure uh, uh, using this adventure. So mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's something that really. I don't know, made me salivate. I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, this is exactly what I want for like ever and ever. Um, Yeah. And in the streams, they already showed, they showcase like one of the characters, the main characters is riding in a big infernal war machine. And then all of their minions are riding on motorcycle versions of war machines and they're racing around and doing stuff. So it's like already in the stream, they're starting to showcase some of those points. And so it's going to be very interesting to see those combat rules come in. And we kind of thought about that when we talked about that Unearthed Arcana article that come out and it talked about vehicle-based um, combats. We could tell, we could see the writing in the sky, right? We could see, okay, this is about ships, but they put wording in that eventually you could say, well, this could be about stagecoaches. This could be about cars. This could be about tanks. This could be about flying fortress, airships, whatever, yeah. you know, airships and all kinds of stuff. So. We're starting to see that kind of lead out. And it is interesting that the things they work on really do end up being in the book. So like. Or the things they play test. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like the Mordecai and stuff built helps build the foundation for this book because you need a really good understanding of the devils and the demons. If you're going to put out a nice adventure, that's going to take you to where the the big conflict is the blood war. We're going to the blood war. I mean, Avernus is the blood war, which is super cool. And we're going to get to see that. So. I think it's cool. And they were talking about, Jim Zub was talking about when they got brought in to, to start riffing off this really crazy storyline that they came up with. This was in 2017. So two years ago, they were already gathering the storylines or gathering the, the skeletal um, components of making this book two years then. So I wonder what's now, like what do they sit down in 2019 in May, brought in some authors and some writers from other places to bring in a skeletal book that they're going to release two years from now. I mean, that's how big their pipeline of stuff that they've got. Mm-hmm. So it's just crazy and exciting to see how much product's coming out. So it's, it is, it's Avernus and you can do like this desert wasteland battle scene. Hell is completely different. The first time we're off of the mortal planes, as far as in 5e, we're into another plane at this point. This is the first real jump, the first real adventure that, that takes us that way um they they just so many things they just kind of hinted at that i that i was really excited about i can't wait for that we're talking about and just according like to idea, according to uh mordecanon's tome of foes avernus used to have cities and outposts and trade points and it was like mm-hmm. a kind of a more civilized place until um zariel and the blood war happened um and now it's just a wasteland but when I was reading that, I was thinking, oh my gosh, that's they've set this up perfect for there's going to be dungeons for you to explore. There's going to be weird artifacts that you find in an ancient like city that's in Avernus somewhere. And so mm-hmm. they really have, you, like you said, they've stacked the deck to make this work uh, in the favor of, of players and storyline, storytellers yeah. and things like that. So And it gives us a, a post-apocalyptic setting that mm-hmm. we can play around with, which we could then extrapolate if we wanted to do something Dark Sun-wise or we wanted to do some things. Because they, they were talking about there's going to be a lot of environmental effects of being here. This isn't just a place you want to stay. This isn't a place that's fun and games for everybody. This is a bad place mm-hmm. where bad things are, and you need to feel the gravity of that. And they, the, it sounds like there are mechanics to support the gravity of what's going on and what's around you. So I think that's cool, just the idea of 
the environment you're in, you're fighting also besides the other stuff that's there that you're fighting. Yeah, and we've seen that a little bit with uh, like madness mechanics with Out of the Abyss Mm -hmm. and and I think uh, uh, Tomb of Annihilation had some mechanics like that where you have to have supplies and you need to watch your water. So like the environment hurting you in some aspect, but this will be another fresh new mechanic kind of relative to uh hell itself and like Mm -hmm. what is what is why don't people travel to other planes very often well it's because these environments have these nasty effects against you you know Mm -hmm. or like they always say like why don't the angels just come down and crush hell well there's there's effects in celestia where the angels are at and there's effects in the nine hells that they are weaker because of that so there's a reason that everyone kind of stays in their their uh circle of the um the great wheel. So they kind of stay in their corner of the great wheel. So, yeah. And and sticking with that, that was the one thing I was thinking about this morning when I woke up and I'm absorbing everything. I'm, I jumped in the shower and I'm thinking about Avernus and the storylines and the devil storyline the most, because that's what I'm fascinated with this group of lawful evil that makes deals with people to do things. And then it just, it struck me, it dawned on me. Avernus is the only place devils can die for good right? Mm -hmm. That is the only place where they die. So in reality, to me, those types of characters, the only place that a devil can have fear is when they're on that plane, right? So when they come to the mortal lands, they they feel powerful. They're not afraid of anything. They can try to make some deals. They can try some schemes. If it doesn't work out, not a big deal. They'll find their way back. But when it's on Avernus, it's for keeps, right? They cannot risk it. So they probably are very fearful creatures when they're there and Mm -hmm. they don't want to be there. But here's the thing. They can't just give up on it because if they die anywhere else, they go back to Avernus when they re a pop up. And if they don't control Avernus or at least a place in it, when they pop up, whatever does control, it's going to kill them and they're Mm -hmm. gone. So they have to fight for it. So think of that struggle of somebody who has the most fear you could ever have in your life. Like all of us have had that moment whether it was you were swimming in an ocean or you were in a car accident or you were you were riding a bike and you fell down a cliff or you're at the top of a tree in the wind. I mean, that, that real gut-wrenching fear that we've all had throughout our lives. When you're a devil on Avernus, every second probably is that moment for you because anything could come by and just wipe you out. Yeah. And that's going to affect your decisions. That's going to affect what you're going to try to do. That's going to affect how you interact with the players. In fact, it makes more sense that they're going to try to get people to fight for them because they don't want to fight at all, at all costs. Right. So just that thought made like just opened up the floodgate for me as far as what kind of cool adventures. So why would adventurers ever want to go to hell? Because the devil comes and makes a deal, gives them power, but says, you have to come fight this battle for me. And I'm willing to give you the power. I'm not lying to you. I'm not doing anything. I need you to fight this battle for me. And I'm going to give you big power. But now you're dealing with lawful evil to get that power that you want. And do Mm -hmm. you do it kind of thing. So there is that, that kind of that push and pull of what you can do with a a player character. Maybe one of their, their party members died and he's willing to resurrect them. That's kind of the way I roped in one of our players in our campaigns to sell his soul to the devil, or at least a possible, if he doesn't complete a task, the devil gets a soul. If he completes the task, the devil's like, hey, great. That's the task I wanted. I want you to destroy this gate that won't let the demons into this world. Do that. Here's the soul. But if not, I get your soul and I get that other soul too. Mm -hmm. So it's like, that's a tough thing to just try to turn away and say, no, I'll never make a deal with the devil. Sometimes you might, they might be persuasive enough. So I just love that, that the context of what we could do with that in storytelling. Yeah. They, so, and they also say that, uh, well, this is going to be levels one to 13. It's Mm -hmm. about 256 pages long. So that's really cool. And then I feel like they say this every single time, but they say like, this will be easy for new DMS. And Mm -hmm. I mean, wizards of the coast is never going to come out and with an adventure and be like, this is an expert adventure that you should not buy. If you are a new DM only like hardcore people should buy because they want to sell books. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm curious if they, how they, why do they say that? Like, why do they say this will be easy for new DMs? I want to read this and just be like, well, what makes this easier than Curse of Strahd? Or what makes this easier than of other books that you've written? Um, but we'll see. So Yeah, I think what that was, I thought the same thing where they made the statement, but I want to see if I read it, if it's different. Because I don't, I don't know if they ever made that claim with Storm King's Thunder. Because I, I would think, to me, if a new DM came to me and said the very first thing I'm going to run, which was what Lucian did mm-hmm. with Storm King's Thunder, that might not be the very first thing you run. That one was a little bit tougher, I think, to get a handle around. 
But um, no, and I I'm reading they... Curse of Strahd right now for a video, and I was yeah. just like, although this is great and it is chocked full of information, it is difficult to keep all of these different plot lines and threads kind of woven together to make a really cool story. And I almost feel like you mm -hmm. need to read that book cover to cover three times before you run it. Mm -hmm. um, just so you totally understand all of the different facets of it. Um, and, and maybe storm King Thunder is the same way. I've only read it once, but, and I've never ran it, but like, yeah, like what makes, I don't know. I'm really curious about that because they said specifically yeah. like, this is written to be for new DMS. So, and I think it's something that they're trying to iterate on. They're trying to make each book they put out easier than the way they did it in the past. Mm -hmm. So I think they're learning, they're learning their lessons yeah. of five to six years to say, this is how we were doing things, but this is what's going to make it easier for people now. Because they said it about the box set, the new Essentials box set, which we haven't got to yet, but they talked about that's easy for a new DM type thing. This one's supposed to be written in such a way that it's easy. And they said, well, how if you're sending your characters to hell, can that be easy for a, a dungeon master? But it was the idea that you're freed to really kind of do it the way you want to. And there was a really cool statement that they were talking about that the time your adventure in hell Mm -hmm. isn't the same time that's happening in the rest of the world. So you can play around with um, you left for a second, and then when you came back, you were actually in hell for a year or two or whatever, mm -hmm. but it was only a second of mortal time when you when you come back, or vice versa. You were there for a week, but now it's a year later, and you can play around with some of those time mechanics to, to help fit this adventure into your other adventures or your other things that you wanted to do. So I think that was one thing that they were talking about, but it has to come down to the wording and how they've structured it and how they help lead the dungeon master. I think a lot of people said um, dragon heist, water deep dragon heist was a, um, could be one that a, a new dungeon master could run though. There were four things to choose from. If you just chose one of them and you focused in that area, you didn't have a lot. It was a concise and smaller campaign. It wasn't a worldwide scoping campaign. So that would, in a way, was easier for maybe a new dungeon master. But, you know, I think they're just trying to, to always make their books easier. Mm -hmm. And they probably will never say, no, this is a hard book. You shouldn't buy it. Yeah, that's what, <laughs> that was my point, I guess. Yeah, is yeah, I'm like, yeah. so you say that this is easier, but, like, are you then retroactively saying don't buy Storm King's Thunder because it's, like, really yeah. complicated? But, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think, like, I mean, we could talk about this all day, but there's a bunch of other stuff to talk about as well. But uh, both of us are super excited for Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. It should be a really fun adventure. Um, and I feel like, I don't know, every single time I feel like they just step it up with like another great adventure. Not necessarily some of these other ones like uh, Tales of the Yawning Portal and Ghosts of Salt Marsh, which are like rehashed older adventures. But when th their big storylines always seem to top the other one. But maybe that's just me getting really excited. Uh, mm -hmm. But in other news, uh, the Artificer got an update, I know, because I, I have a player who is going to be playing an Artificer in our Ghosts of Salt Marsh campaign. He's really excited. Um, I have a co-host who plays a Artificer in an online game. Uh, mm -hmm. And so now you have some new stuff to, to choose from. Are you going to change any subclasses? Because we got the arch archivist. Archivist and, and battlesmith. The battlesmith, yeah. 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 I don't think I'm going to change. Artillerist is still the one that I was interested in, but I love the direction and creativity of this class. I feel like it's this, um, we know how we used to do it in the past, this kind of thing. This is how we did it five years ago. This is how we put the player's handbook out. This is how we described how these classes did things. The way they're creating this article and the way they're getting ready to put this in whatever book it comes out in, because it's not, it's not in Avernus, I don't think. So we're still waiting to see what book this would come out in at some point. I love the creativity they're putting in the writing about how you manifest the thing that you are, or how your powers manifest, how your abilities manifest, how your spells manifest. And they really go in to help give you cool ideas on how this might happen. Talking books, floating skulls with information in them, um, you know, the turrets with crab legs on them. There's just a million things. Like my turrets are toys that I built, wooden carved toys that are almost like marionettes that move on their own. Um, there's all kinds of cool stuff that you can do with it. And it feels very creative style class. And it's drawing me to it because it's letting me be creative. Like, it's almost like if you'd writ the, written the Ranger class, right? I, I love the Ranger. I'm playing a Ranger at the moment too. Um, and, you, and you wrote it in such a way that you said, also remember that when you're playing the Ranger, sometimes you draw your bow back and you get the fire as the string and it launches out a fire arrow. And that's how your attack works. Or sometimes you do this, like they give you these creative ideas on how your powers manifest. Besides, 
I have an actual wooden bow, I have a string, and I have a regular arrow, and that's what a ranger is, or you know what my and idea that's of Eberron, it is. Honestly, like Eberron yeah. is all about that. Like they they were like, how can we take the mechanics of this and just reimagine them? in a different way, you know? And mm-hmm. so instead of, instead of casting cure wounds, you pull out syringes. That's got some kind of like concoction that you pump into somebody and they're healed. And mm-hmm. that was, that was a lot of like, of uh, the, you know, turning magic on its head, I guess, uh, or, or classes or certain things like that. So I don't know. It's yeah, I agree with you. I think it's really creative and really awesome. Um, the very pet heavy, like I didn't think the art of the, um, arcanist artificer, sorry, would have, uh, so many would be a pet class. You know, I was not expecting that. Um, I like Mm -hmm. it. I think it's really cool, but I noticed people on the internet, especially on Reddit were just like, Oh, that poor Beastmaster!" Like you're just, you're, you're literally Mm -hmm. making a really great pet class. And then you still haven't fixed the Beastmaster that much, Mm -hmm. uh, the Beastmaster ranger and so it's just kind of this this i don't know like thoughts on that i guess like what do you think about because you're playing both and i'm playing playing beastmaster now because i wanted that we talked about this before that experience of we always hear the the internet talk about what they like or don't like or what's broken or not broken and sometimes we comment on the conversation but maybe we haven't actually played that class in a campaign and um so we don't know we're just kind of thinking about it from a um a paper standpoint or a number crunching standpoint but Mm -hmm. not an actual i played it and i'm having fun with the beastmaster i don't think i'm underpowered compared to anybody i don't think my damage isn't doing very well i think my pet is pretty cool at the moment um i don't know it feels pretty good and my turrets are cool only because i describe them cool their mechanics aren't that much different than many of the other things that are in the game Um, But it's what everybody's loving in the game that I'm playing and using them is the way I describe them. I have three of them that I set down. And one is the turtle, which is the defensive one that uh, lets out um, butterflies when it does the (laughs) healing aspect of it. And then one is like a little wooden manicure that he's he's carved out of wood and it's about the size of a dog. And its tail will, will click back and then it will throw the bolt, which that becomes the ballista one. And then I have one that's, uh, that's a dragon that I've created, and that one does the flame turret if I ever throw that one out. And so it's just carved wooden toys. And everybody loves the way that, you know, describing how these things work. Mm-hmm. But the mechanics are still there. They're still just, you know, a 2D6 damage or, you know, whatever it might be in some of these. So, but what's great is the way they wrote the class encourages you already to be thinking of those things. And I think had they written the other classes in that same way, then we would be just as excited. Because you could say, well, a ranger isn't just somebody who shoots a bow and has an animal that runs next to them like you would see in World of Warcraft, um, you know, uh, trailer when you had the dwarf. Like when we first saw World of Warcraft commercial come out, the first thing anybody saw was the dwarf on the snowy hill. He puts his flintlock rifle in the ground and that big bear comes up and it's all looks really good and you're just like that's a ranger that's like a pet class that's what i want to do but there's other types of rangers of you know people that sneak through the underdark people that um, are guides and scouts that aren't necessarily pet classes and i think had they come up with some cool ways to say there are other ways an urban ranger what would an urban ranger be because there's there must be some of those right in Mm -hmm. these big cities so if we started imagining what those were these were like people that you know were parkour tagging spraying symbols on walls you know maybe that's the style of an urban ranger or and you can do an underdark ranger what's an underdark ranger well maybe that's a ranger that has you know not just the dark vision part of it but like interacts with that type of animals or does something different that is all cave based and things. Mm-hmm. So I think if they put those in the classes, we would have had much more broader idea of what a ranger was and it wouldn't be boring to some people or what a paladin is, is just this thing, the Holy warrior. It can be really more. Yeah. I think specifically, um, and I was looking it up just so I'm sure like the battlesmith has this iron defender and like you can cast mending to heal it. Um, I think it gets its own initiative um, and it can use its reaction. It's, it's basically like a, just a better version of the Ranger Beastmaster pet. Um, but then you have to say that uh, a lot of people are like, well, this is like, if you're comparing apples to apples, it's like, well, these, this one is clearly better than the other, but you have to understand that the Ranger also has his full list of spell casting and his full abilities as well. And maybe this particular artificer is, 
lesser than a ranger? Like if you if you took away their pets, all of a sudden is the Beastmaster Ranger up here and the Artificial right here. But if you give them their pets, all of a sudden they're equal. And so yeah. that's something that I was thinking about as well. But um, no, it's it's a uh, yeah. I don't know. I like where you're going with that. Where like what does this look like? And and that's the fun of D and D is taking. Um, uh, like let's take the ranger what is it what is an underdark what does it mean to be an underdark ranger and kind of playing with those things like maybe your hunter's mark looks completely different from like an urban ranger or something like that mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we like to flavor our spells that way and as long as yeah. you keep the mechanics the same it's balanced but you can flavor it it reminds me of a one shot i played on mistress of modules where i was a uh war- fey warlock that had um pact of the chain and i had a little sprite that sat on my shoulder and followed me around I flavored it that I cast nearly all of my spells that weren't Eldritch Blast from my little, my, my Sprite or my Pixie. So like I cast sleep and he would like launch off my shoulder and do fairy dust on everybody and put him to sleep. And it's just like, that's just a fun mechanic that it's like, well, if this guy is my, is following me because of my patron, it would make sense that he's the one that actually casts the spells. And I kind of just like sit back and direct him to do what I need to do. So I like that idea. And it's just, that's fun to, to reflavor everything. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm really enjoying is the idea that they are asking us to use our imaginations to not change the mechanics. They don't want us to figure out new math, you know, what weapons should do 1d8 plus or this. They're just saying when, okay, you deliver damage in this way, or you deliver a spell in this way, or you deliver this special ability in this way, let's think of creative ways on how that gets delivered. And we describe those things to the people around us. And that's, what's really infused in this article that makes me really excited for any of the new classes that are coming out, because I feel like they're, they're leaning on the creative side of it. They're not just describing the mechanics of it, right? They're, they're Mm -hmm. leaning into, there's many ways you can describe the same mechanics, like that desert mage you created. That was like a UNT desert mage or you could do you know and that's all themed that way right now i'm playing a war mage that's all elemental war mage so Mm -hmm. in my mind he's a very elementalist kind of war mage it's just all lightnings and fires and 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 ice spells and things like that so it's just really cool ways to describe those things yeah um man so many things to talk about so uh the dungeons and dragons versus rick and morty so the rick and morty dungeons and dragons comic books have been pretty popular and I kind of like, I was talking with some friends and we kind of saw this coming. We're like, they're probably going to do a starter set for Rick or Morty or something like that because it just makes sense for them to keep tying it in. Um, and basically, uh, the comic books are called Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons. And this is going to be an adventure called Dungeons and Dragons versus Rick and Morty. Um, it's a box set and it has mm-hmm. rules modified by Rick comes with a dm screen and dice and we didn't really hear much more than that like they didn't offer a ton of information about it other than like this is coming and it's going to be hilarious and awesome and it's going to be kind of gonzo because it has the rules modified by rick so i'm imagining like wizards are ultimately super powerful and bards are not because if you read the comics rick doesn't like bards Uh, (laughs) so yeah um, but that should be really exciting. And I, I actually, I, I'm a big fan of Rick and Morty. So, and I've read the comic books and I really like the comic books that I think this is something I'm definitely going to to pick mm-hmm. up. Yeah. And I think what's really cool about it is, it's, again, it's a box set written in the um, way that Rick would be running stuff, just like we got the box set of Stranger, Stranger Things. Things. And I love this kind of themed idea. I feel like this is a fun way for them to expand in merchandising than some of the other ways they used to say back in the eighties or nineties, when it was really weird, the things they would pick, it'd be like, here's your dinner plate. and has a Dungeons and Dragons artwork on it or something. You know, it was like really weird merchandising things that they would do. Sometimes it was cool, but like toy lines and that stuff, you know, sort of, but I like this idea of box sets that lead into other things that were, that we think is funny. And it's written by um, Pat Rothfuss has a big hand in helping Jim Zub write this, um and it seemed like it was something that they they are playing on that funny kind of trope of metagamey stuff happening and it's dungeons and dragons they went on that adventure and they came back to this world but some of the dungeons and dragons followed them back into the world and that's kind of what it feels like it is the kind of the storyline of what's going on there 
the artwork would probably be amazing and fun. You know, the humor is going to be on point and great. They're always doing callbacks to the old adventure stuff too, because they're always making fun of different things that those of us that have been in the hobby for a long time are really going to have really cool Easter eggs to pick out. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be really fun to have. I think it's cool that they're doing more of those. And they said that they were just completely surprised by how popular the original one was. They had to obviously do another one. And I thought, yeah. And so that's the adventure, but like, like you were saying, they have to do another one. They are releasing uh, Rick and Morty chapter two, the painscape, which is going to be another uh, comic books, like probably four yeah. or five issues of comics um, uh, should be really, really fun. Continuing the story that is uh, Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and it, the artwork for that looks really awesome. Like, like uh, Morty is, uh, or Rick is like covered in a robe of eyes and he's this like evil looking wizard. Um, it's just really, really awesome. So I, I don't know. I'm really excited for that. Yeah. Um, and it's clear that they're big fans of Jim Zub because he mm-hmm. was, he's pretty prominent in this year's stream stuff. He's prominent in the products they're putting out. So they definitely really like, you know, they're a big fan of Jim Zub and he's getting to do a lot of Dungeons and Dragons stuff right now. So, and Including then his, yeah, his other comic. Yeah. Um, and then something I didn't know too much about was the young adventures guide. Um, yeah. that's going to be out in July, I believe. I think I saw that, but, uh, tell us about that. What is, what is this? Well, and again, I've only just heard about it on the stream and they talked about it a tiny bit. Um, and I'm sure there's probably other information out there. Cause I feel like they've shown this somewhere else. They have, I don't yeah. think this it's been was on the Amazon debut. for a while. Yeah. I don't think it was the debut of it. So, but it felt like it was a guide to help young players learn Dungeons and Dragons, but not learn the rules so much, but learn the skills of understanding role-playing games, like letting them understand the concept of you're going to play a character and you're going to think about what that character would do to do something or how they would try to do something or how they would solve a problem or how they would solve a puzzle or how they might talk to, um, you know, uh, what, you know, basically the whole interaction between non-player characters and things that are going on. So it wasn't... I don't think it's a rule book on how combat works. They don't talk about, you know, like you get a bonus action, you get an action. It's not that it's about the, the skills of role playing and, and working together in a collaborative game. So, and like that's having about as much uh, as I know about. It. Yeah. And so like, like the, I, the idea I got was like, we're not, you're not picking up this book of extra feats for the yeah. crunchy people that want to be like, you know, if I take this shield master feet, all of a sudden my Eldritch Knight is going to be like really awesome. And I can do this and then I can augment like this and like kind of changing it. Like a lot of people play that. How do, how effective am I in battle or how effective am I in social situations? And they build characters around that to basically augment their dice rolls to be the best that they could possibly be in whatever, or they want to do something specific. Um, we forget that a lot of people need to just understand, especially kids, like th- it's a new concept to be like, well, it's not, I take that back. It's not a new concept. Kids are full of imagination and they do this all the time. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's a way of saying, instead of just uh, like, I, I imagine this has some very specific and simplified dice rules to really easily be like, you want to uh, attack this goblin, you know, we're going to take initiative, we're going to take damage, we're going to take all of that stuff out of it. But like, if you want to attack this goblin, you're going to roll this die, and we see if you succeed or not, and like, make it very basic, simple stuff. But Mm -hmm. like, she was uh, in the stream, they were emphasizing, like, how do you make a character? And then how do you decide what that character does? So Mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of teaching the, the basics of RPGs. And it's interesting now that we have an understanding of that before because when D and D originally came out, like people were playing this war game that kind of shifted into this and everybody played D and D differently. And now that we have things like streamers and everybody's broadcasting their games, I can be like, wow, Lucian plays games are really different from how Jordan plays games Mm -hmm. there. Nobody's right or wrong, but Mm -hmm. like, like we'll say, you know, Jordan's got this really crunchy game and Lucian's got this really story driven game. And it's kind of interesting how the two of them play, but they're still playing the same game. Mm -hmm. How do we take that and teach younger kids who aren't, you know, necessarily watching or learning from streams because maybe they shouldn't be with the amount of swearing that goes on in a lot of these streams. (laughs) Like, "Ah, I lost my, my, I got another natural one. Oh my gosh. But yeah, it's, it's kind of a, 
I don't know. It's and then there's a part of me that's like, well, Wizards of the Coast, you're totally like pushing drugs, and this is the get them while they're young kind of a thing. Yeah, they're gonna be <laughs> spending their fifty bucks every couple of months. Exactly, on the exactly. <laughs> so, but I think that's really cool. I think RPGs are great for kids. Um, I know a lot of teachers that utilize Dungeons and Dragons in the classroom as a way to uh, not only for fun, but just to like you you learn how how do you handle this emotional situation when mm-hmm. you aren't actually connected to it. You know, mm-hmm. like if you're if your best friend betrayed you or you or you lost your best friend in battle and you have to grieve and you have to do all this other stuff, they kind of learn these life lessons in a in a safe place. And that's mm-hmm. that's really cool. I think the magic of of D&D storytelling is is going to be awesome. So, yeah, and the way I was looking at because I know I, I, I saw some of the other commenters were talking about well kids already know how to play they already know how to pretend and i and i was thinking well that's true they don't need a book they don't need somebody to come along and teach them how to play or whatever but the thing that's different i think is that they understand how to play and they understand how to imagine and and make up their own things and then they understand that there's this thing called games that are things like board games that you play monopoly in life with your family or there's card games and things what they haven't been taught is that play and games are two things that can come together and in dungeons and dragons or any role-playing game that you decide to you know to show a kid Mm -hmm. is that it's play and a game at the same time the two things are kind of separate up until you know you're a certain age and you realize wait a minute these two things are the same thing and i think it's just helping them understand that oh wait a minute i get to use my imagination we get to create a crazy wonderful story about saving somebody in need or helping the local you know farmers or or defeating an evil monster that stole stuff from the town that's a really cool thing that they might play out in their backyard with their friends but then there's the structure of a game there's board and there's dice or there's stuff that's going on that helps not let you know the outcome right it's starting to introduce the idea you don't know what's going to happen because in a kid's play they already have the script all written out right is <laughs> they know what's going to happen they just play it over and over and over and they use their toys to do that i mean i remember being a kid in my backyard creating a mass landscape for matchbox cars or a cool battlefield for the gi joe fights that we would have when we were just young kids playing with toys and our friends and even tag could be turned into some type of role play where you play tag but the ground is lava or you play tag and it's later at night so it's scarier in some way you know and there's all these different renditions of what you can do you're starting to add role play elements to your games and i just think that this is a book that helps people do that where they say you have play you have the things that you can do that you can make up and have imagination you can play characters and then you have this structured game that eventually you're going to get to but here's the skills that you learned before that so i think it'd be I interesting I'm, i definitely want to read it because you, yeah. you never know just by hearing it everybody can make something sound better than it is everybody can say this is what we meant to do but maybe it didn't hit the mark but i would love to read it just to see okay what are they doing that helps build these skills what are the things that helps bridge the gap to say you're a seven eight or nine year old who hasn't learned Dungeons and Dragons or any role-playing game at this point, because you don't have to start with Dungeons and Dragons these days. You can go to any really cool role-play game that's out there. You should start with Kids on Bikes, or you should start with, you know, Tales from the Loop, or you should start with um, Numenera or whatever it is. You know, kids could be playing these at seven, eight, and nine and having really fun, adventurous stories and just having a great time creating stories. I just think it's it's cool yeah. and it's a nice little bridge to get them there. I wonder if it's going to be like, like uh, here are... Basically, when you're a kid, have you ever played Calvin Ball where it's like, you know, like I shoot you with your laser. Well, I deflect that laser. Well, the laser yeah. deflects off of a mirror and comes back and does hit you. And everyone just argues about like, well, what? Yeah. and so I wonder if it's going to be more like, how do we collaborate like together? How do we tell a story? How do you how do you lift up your party members? And then and mm-hmm. then using the dice in that instance as well to be like, well, the dice say X, Y and Z, but. I don't know. I feel like we're getting off on a weird, not a weird tangent, but like, I'm not, I, we need to read the books before we yeah. form like a strong opinion. And we have, we are not even sure what's yeah. in these books, but it's, it's D and D for young adventurers and it should be really cool. Um, mm-hmm. I'm excited. I want to, like you said, I think I want to read it. Um, gosh. And then it's 10, almost, but <laughs> finally we like to talk about, we'll touch on the D and D essentials kit. Um, that should be out June 24th in Target, and then two months later, it'll be out everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is another, or what we should call it is Starter Set Plus. So you've played the original Starter Set. This is like, 
if you want to continue but you're not really ready to dive into a larger adventure, here's the next starter set that comes with um, another adventure in Phandalin. Um, character building kit. So you kind of, you don't need to necessarily use pre-generated characters. You can kind of build characters up. Um, it's an adventure called Dragon of Ice Spire Peak. And the mm-hmm. cool, coolest thing about this, I think, and props to Wizards of the Coast for doing that or doing this, is that it can be played with one DM and one player. So those mm-hmm. people that are interested in trying D&D, but they can't necessarily find a large group of people to play with, you can literally play it with one DM and one player. So even like your 13 year old son who's really into this and he can't find a group of players. Dads can sit down and be like, I will run this for you. You can understand how to do this. And then maybe it's like really cool and we get more players and things like that, but looks really cool. Another adventure for me to review, which I'm really excited for. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I like that. And and I, and they said something in the trailer, uh, the trailer, they said something in the live stream that um, the starter set is their most popular setting or module like like Mm -hmm. a a product really like they sell more of that starter set than they have a lot of other things so it kind of makes sense that they're going to do like starter set plus but Mm -hmm. the new essentials kit looks awesome like he it's done basically they opened it up they unboxed everything they get new dice you get all this stuff you get character cards um, mm-hmm. and magic item cards. So they had comes with a deck of cards that you can use to, to basically remind your players, you have this quest, you have this magic item, you have this, uh, helper to, or, or what is the, what are they called? A uh, hireling kind Side of thing, kicks. sidekicks to like yeah. run around with you. So, ah, I don't know. This is, this was something I also was kind of like, I was, I was there for, to figure out what the new storyline was, but then they announced this extra stuff and I just get really, really excited about all the new things. Mm-hmm. And they definitely made a point to say you could start with this and not have the starter set. Yeah. It's in the same area, but it's not necessarily connected, but it can easily be connected. It also can be something you go immediately to after you do um, Fandolin, or you could even put it before Fandolin, he Mm -hmm. said. So you really could put it either or, and they take you to a lot of cool places that are right in that area and run some really cool adventures. And it sounds like it's more like a group of one-off adventures than it is like a campaign line of things that you do. And so it allows you to pick and choose what you want to do. Um, It sounds like it's a more thought out starter set than they did five years ago. And I feel like this is the, they want this to be the starter set without invalidating the original starter set. So they don't want to say this is it. So don't buy the Fandolin starter set anymore. Cause I'm sure there's still hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of those sitting on shelves. Like every time I go into my game store, I always see one of those Fandolin box sets still sitting there and I'm sure they go through them all the time. It's not like sitting there with dust. It's like they got their couple new copies in. Somebody must've came in and bought the other copies not too long ago. So they definitely still are moving those copies and I don't think they want to invalidate that, but I think they wanted to take a second crack at yeah. making this a tighter, better presentation of if you've not done anything in Dungeons and Dragons, you go and you grab this box that you've got everything you need, especially with the way they're talking about the 60 page character creation building guide, which was condensed down. They only do the four main classes, but they added Bard this time and everybody kind of laughed about that or, or cheered about that. But, and so they 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 get rid of, you know, there's only like four races, I think, at that point in the Fandolin game um, with, that they talk about in the book. Obviously, you can use player's handbook and all that stuff to bring in the other stuff. But if you just play with the box set, it's it's slimmed down to get you going. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the, the addition of the cards. I like the addition of if you get the magic item, here's the magic item. I just hand it to you. Um, I like the idea that you can show the artwork. I love the idea that there's the big poster map on both sides to show you the area where you're at. The DM screen is non-specific to Fandolin, so you can use it anywhere else, even when you go on to buying all your your other modules. Well, make your own adventure afterwards, you know, take those level six people and the events that happen in Fandolin and like make a, make your own adventure, which is kind of what I think a lot of DNs, Dungeon Masters do. As an exclusive, I haven't told Jordan this yet, not, but I think we should try Dragon of Ice Spire Peak as the two-player game version and really see how it works. So, like, Ooh. I don't know if we'll roll a dice and one of us Who's gets to be DM the DM here. <laughs> player, but I think we should do it and put it on the channel. I also I think, think we have cool. enough friends that would be super jealous that they couldn't play with us. Yes. That maybe we should, <laughs> maybe we should invite some others. But that could be really fun and like put but it I, on I the channel. I think it'd be here. cool to see the experience of a two-player game. That's like true. to really That's understand. True 
that the experience of, oh yeah god we would get 50 people to, to want to play yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one day when they put out a box set that says you can play with one to 50 players that'll be perfect for that <laughs> no that could be yeah that could be really it fun be we really should try fun. something like that out and see see what can happen um, I'd totally be willing to run something like that. And then yeah. we can and put I it up like on the, the Saturday morning channel. different ways to play. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? No, so. for sure. I wonder how, well, it says one to six. So it's probably like a couple months of campaigns, maybe maybe eight sessions or something mm -hmm. like that. So yeah, it's totally doable. That would be really cool. Now the date, the exclusive thing to Target is interesting. So there, that's a partnership with Target to start on the 24th. I feel like, the I didn't even know Target sold D&D like, stuff. Right. Like, like I was just later. like, what? <laughs> yeah, I think that's exclusive for a week, maybe? No, two months. Is it two months? Yeah. I missed that whole date. I must have missed no, that second because they said June, July, August. Like, I think it comes out in September for, like, regular stores. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a Target exclusive for two yeah. months, I think they said, so... And I don't know, that was crazy to me. Like, uh, yeah, because usually it's like a week for stores or something, but um, mm -hmm. I don't know. And it's also kind of sad that they aren't doing that for the local game store. Like really mm -hmm. like two months in a local game store, that's huge for sales for that store before mm -hmm. it's on Amazon and other places like that. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah. But I'm probably, yeah, going to have to go pick that up because, oh, and the dice they give you, they give you like 2d20s and 4d6. Like they give you the extra dice you need to kind of play to roll characters and have advantage and disadvantage. And so they've learned a lot about like, what do people need to play this game? And so there's, yeah. and there's beautiful new red dice um, to offset yeah, yeah. the blue dice you get in your original starter set. So, yeah, because I remember the original dice I got in the red box was the crappy plastic dice that you had to use a crayon to color in the numbers so that you could actually yeah. see them. It was so bad, but we loved it and we we bought it and we needed it to play because once you played once, it was like you couldn't stop playing. It was so good. So. Oh, man. I think it's great. So lots of box sets. It's amazing. That's like three box sets this year. Yeah, you know, Stranger Things box set. You could start there. You could start with um, this new Essentials box set. You could get the Rick and Morty box set that we're going to get to. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff coming out that are these nice inclusive box sets that, that we're seeing. So it's interesting to see the different ways they're packaging the game and still giving us huge adventures, still giving us huge storyline stuff. Um, the thing I didn't get anything that I could tell in just going back to um, Descent into Avern uh, Avernus, Avernus is I didn't hear anything about new player mechanics stuff. So I didn't hear anything about new races. I didn't hear anything about new subclasses or classes. Um, so I don't know if they'll slip anything in there or if, if we're not going to get any of that stuff, it's just a straight adventure. You know, every adventure came out with new backgrounds. So I can only mm -hmm. assume that this one will have new backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Um, but those are so simple and you're kind of mechanically, you can design your own background. So, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, but yeah, nothing, nothing new. Uh, the, the last, last time they did this on stream of many eyes, we had our Saturday morning D and D show. And then afterwards mm -hmm. they announced, um, uh, was it Xanathar's or they announced yeah. something after, no, it wasn't stream of many eyes. It was the one before that. Uh, yeah. but last year they announced Waterdeep, and we had our show. And then after our show, they announced dungeon of the mad mage. So maybe there's another book that they, there, will there's announce. still a big announcement. There yeah. is still a Nathan said at the end of this. So I'm guessing on Sunday, they have one more big announcement to make. And he yeah. said it was a big, he used the word big announcement. Yeah. So there's going to be one more thing. So there's one more thing that we still have to talk about. Who knows? Maybe Lucian and I will do a Saturday morning D&D show Monday or something. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll, Extra. we'll, cause we want to like cover it or something like that. We'll see. But um, we've got seven minutes left. Do you want to talk about your games or do you want to promote anything or what are you doing? I mean, yeah, I, we don't have to dive into the games that we, I played one of them. One got canceled. So very, you know, we've, this is very regular for games for us at this point. Um, I'm enjoying playing Tomb of Annihilation. It was, it, had we had time, it was another perfect example of the party fought a CR-10. Now we're only, we're six level characters. So to fight a CR-10, usually a party of six level characters wouldn't be able to handle a CR-10. We wiped the floor with a CR-10. Nobody got hurt. Nobody got anything. We turn around and fight some CR-4s, I think is what it was, but there were three of them, and we nearly get wiped. <laughs> and it's so weird to see sometimes how that CR really lets you down. 
But we've kind of talked about that before. We can always save that again. That's going to come up again because it never seems to go away that the CR rating just kind of doesn't help DMs yeah. out as much as it should. They're more and like guidelines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's probably an impossible thing to do because we had the right party composition to fight the one thing and we had a bad party composition to fight the other thing. Well, I will say it is not impossible to do because if you ever play fourth edition, that was in super balanced. Like okay. you knew it, you could build you. They gave you like, here's uh 5,000 experience points. And you took those experience points and you divided it up between however many monsters you wanted to have. And as long as you did like equal, you use the guidelines to do the certain amount of monsters and the certain types of monsters. Uh, it was, it was very balanced. And I think that was another reason that D and D fourth edition, they were, um, telling everybody that they're like, this is the best version of D and D because it's so balanced. And it's so this, because combat was very fine tuned and very specific, but with fifth edition, they went back to being like, I don't know. We kind of just wing it, I guess. So. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I almost feel like we don't need a CR rating and somebody mentioned it in the, in chat there. We need an action economy rating. Yeah. So we almost need an AE rating, yeah. which would help. I think get closer to helping people. But I'm also starting to really lean away from this idea that as dungeon masters, we're supposed to create perfectly balanced adventure encounters for yeah. our adventurers. Because what is really the point of if you go through a one through 20 adventure and every time you create an encounter, it was always perfectly balanced for that party. Are we really creating epic stories? Are we yeah. really creating the experience that we want? Maybe we're not. Maybe we're too focused. But that was like a whole nother, you know, we, we could have spent a whole show talking about that. Yeah, Other than that, we will next show. <laughs> yeah. And so we'll, I'm sure we'll swing back around to it. Other than that, promoting wise, um, we're still just doing uh, Seeking Revenar games. We're doing the two games that I'm playing in. I'm hoping that um, me and Jordan get to play in some games soon with each other and some of the other systems. Cause I know like you were doing some testing on um, your kids with kids with wands kids. Mm -hmm. That's today, two o'clock. There you go. I'm there doing that That's kids with like. wands, uh, which is my kids on bikes, Hogwarts hack. Um, I will be playing that today and uh, I made an overlay and everything. I'm going to record it. We're not going to stream it, but um, mostly because I have like, I just can't stream right today, but uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to record it and then I'll edit it and make it look nice. And we're going to put it up on the Saturday morning D and D shows channel. Cool. My caveat though is, is if it's good, because I'm super nervous about like, I've never played this before. It might, might, might really be a uh, not interesting. Um, let's, let's fine tune the mechanics of the game as like an actual play test, as opposed to something that's interesting to put out there. But I have a feeling I have really good players. It's going to be a lot of fun, but we're going to do that today. Um, so that's what I'm, yeah. So, you know, subscribe to the Saturday morning D and D show channel, uh, because my kids with wands game will be there and it should be a lot of fun. Uh, it's, not should be it will be a lot of fun i'm really excited yeah. so and don't forget secrets of salt marsh will be out in in game stores and ready for us to be playing yeah. we're like within a week of it now so we're going to get to dive into that book and maybe i know me and jordan were talking a little bit before the show we might try to put up maybe we might try a review yeah and maybe put it up and see what you guys think of that because we're trying to expand on the type of content that we're doing we love doing the news show we love talking about our games but we're also trying to look for other things that you guys might be interested and us seeing or doing or talking about. So if you guys have uh, advice for what other stuff you would love to see us talk about, then send that over. So if it's doing reviews of things, yeah. if it's um, talking about player, I don't know, like what are cool characters that people can make, you know, all the different things yeah. that are D&D related that Thoughts. we would love to try out thoughts were like doing reviews. So like I'm um, ghost of salt marsh is going to come out. I'm probably going to, uh, I'll build a little system and do like a flip through of it. And just like things like that, do a casual flip through for the Saturday morning D and D show YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And then also maybe, um, character concepts. I know, uh, we have some other friends that do some shows where they take like an, an idea of like Iron Man and how would you build Iron Man in fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. And so, uh, yeah, we might, we might start doing some extra stuff because we just kind of want to see this channel grow and it's only yeah. going to, grow if we do more cool stuff with it so yeah and if there's things that we haven't thought about let us know maybe there's something oh, that you keep saying hey none of these shows are doing this 
we'll send it our way. We want to do it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, leave some comments down below. Send. Uh, you can always contact us on Twitter. Uh, Lucian is at Sir Lucian Gaming, which is right above his head, and I am at Jordan with a PH right below here. Um, so, and I don't know about on Twitch. That was the YouTube overlay, but <laughs> the Twitch overlay is probably different. Um, but yeah, you can always reach out to us on Twitter. We love to hear from you guys. Um, with that, I think we're done. That was a news-heavy show, so sorry. Not sorry. Like, I'm Check sure everybody podcast, was really interested. Leave a review. We need reviews on podcasts as much as we can. Yeah. Keep if the you listen discussion on, going. If you listen on Stitcher or iTunes, please leave a podcast review. We would love to uh, read them. And you know what? I'll just say this. A lot of podcasts do this. If you do leave us a five-star review, I we will read it on the air. Um, yeah. Because why not? And a lot, of, a lot of podcasts do that, and we will also do that because we are, we are not – we are like other podcasts. We love this. <laughs> we so, love our community. We really do. Yeah. Super love it. So thank you guys so much. Uh, thank you for coming out on this Saturday morning and, and watching us uh, yab about all the news. Go check out the descent. It's going to be going on all weekend long on Twitch and YouTube uh, slash D and D, I believe. So check all that out. And until then we will see you next week with another episode of the Saturday morning D and D show. Goodbye, everybody. Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.